there was a Midwestern preacher, Dr. Morrison, who felt like God was calling him to a worldwide evangelistic crusade, and he also traveled to Africa and began preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometime later, Teddy Roosevelt and Dr. Morrison returned on the same boat. Roosevelt didn't know Morrison. In the harbor to greet Teddy Roosevelt was the governor of the state and the mayor of the city and thousands of people came to welcome him home and celebrate his glorious trip. By contrast, Dr. Morrison had no one to greet him. That same day, Teddy Roosevelt got on a train and traveled toward his hometown. And through every town, people would come out and wave to the train. And indeed, when he reached his hometown, there was the mayor, and there was a band, and there was a parade, and there was a great celebration. By contrast, Dr. Morrison also boarded a train, unbeknownst to anybody. And when he got home and got off the train to get his luggage, there was no one there to greet him. There was an old porter who kind of remembered him and said, hello there, but that was it. And he grabbed his bag and he started walking toward his house. And he was depressed. He was having a pity party. And he said, why is there no one to greet me? When I get home, I have been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have seen thousands come to him. Why is there no one to greet me when I get home? And the thought came to him, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. I'd like to talk to you this morning about a journey and remind you we're not home yet. Remind you that as long as we are in this world, we're not home yet. Two weeks ago, I talked about the journey of worship being upward. Last week, I talked about the journey of worship being outward. This week, I want to talk about the journey of worship being onward. We are different from the other two historical religions of this world. In Islam... One of the five pillars of Islam is to make a pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in your life. One of the urgencies of Judaism, if possible, is to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem at least once in your life. But in Christianity, all of life is a pilgrimage. It began that way with our father Abram, when God said, go forth. It continued that way when God came to Moses on the mountain and said, I send you forth. And Moses thought he was merely going to Egypt. He found that he spent the rest of his life walking on a journey until he was buried in Mount Nebo overlooking the promised land. It continues that way all through Scripture. And when Jesus comes, there's no rest. He says, follow me. And when Jesus leaves for heaven, he says, Go therefore, making disciples. All of life is a journey. It's recognized in Hebrews 11.13 when it says, We're strangers and aliens in this world. We are pilgrims. 
The song said, belonging to eternity, stranded in time. I love that. The journey never ends. And that is the great symbol of the Magi. Those who would come on the basis of the light that they had and journey however long it took towards God. I want to talk about that this morning. Now, the first thing I want to share with you is some Magi minutiae, if, it, if you permit me. Minutiae is the plural of minutia. We have summarized the story of the Magi, and I tell you this not to ruin your creches or not to tell you to tell a different story to your children, but just to say to you how badly we need to simplify. I mean, there's a human need to simplify and, again, parochialize the story of the Magi, and we've made them out to be something that they really weren't, so that we can tell a little story and forget it. Say, aren't they cute at the manger, and go on. We've made them out to be kings. In fact, Herodotus, the ancient historian, says they weren't kings at all. They tried. They came from Persia. They were of the tribe of Median. And they came uh, at one time in their history to try for political power. They tried to overthrow the kings. And they were so badly put down that from that moment, they forgot all political ambition. A good thing. Now, they then gave their lives to two endeavors. One, an endeavor of holiness. They became priests of their tribe, indeed priests toward their kingdom. They were very much what the Levites were to the Jews, a class of priests concerned about holiness. On the other hand, they also became the scientists, the most knowledgeable people of the day. They practiced medicine. They knew astronomy, obviously. They practiced scientific investigation. They were so curious. This is the class of people that we have. They weren't kings. They were priests. Came to worship and make an offering. There weren't just three of them. We say, well, there's probably three of them because there are three gifts. We three kings. Cute song. Well, we, we say there are three gifts. We've even, we've even made up names for them and, and descriptions of them. The fact is that if you were traveling on a caravan for a very long period of time, you didn't want to travel with just three people because you would very likely be robbed. There is very much a likelihood that there was a great number of these magi that came, not just three. We have them at the manger. The Bible clearly does not have them at the manger. After Jesus was born, they arrived in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's not even at uh, Bethlehem yet. Um, then they went to the house, not to the manger, to the house to find Jesus. So it was a short while after Jesus was born, but they didn't show up at the manger. All of this, again, not to ruin your Christmas, but to say to you, we have... We have tied these guys up in a little story so we could say how cute and forget it and missed the majestic calling that they had, the majestic message for our lives. Here were people who would do whatever was necessary to travel however far they needed to to find Jesus Christ and worship Him. They, they, they traveled by light. They traveled not by their own clocks, but by the clock of heaven. I heard a story. 
about a sailor who was in a foreign land. And there was another American who spotted him as an American. And he went up and said, hey, buddy, what time is it? He looked at his watch and he says, oh, it's 5 o'clock. Well, the man knew it wasn't 5 o'clock. He said, I think your watch has stopped. He said, oh, no, pardon me, I, I do that all the time. He said, this is Utah time. Because I come from Utah. And when I look at my watch, I can always tell what my family's doing in Utah. I would look at it at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I know they're getting up uh, and getting out of bed and ready for the chores. I look at, at it at 7 o'clock at night, and I know they're saying their prayers around the dinner table, and they're praying for me. I always want to know what's going on at home. I can find what time it is uh, where I'm at any, from anywhere, but I always want to know what's going on at home. You know what? That's the example of the wise men. They took the leading from home. Not from their circumstance, not from the culture in which they found themselves from home. They always wanted to know what was going on at home. Therefore, God calls us to that same journey from that same transcendent reference point to journey as long as we need to, which will be the rest of our lives. Now, if you're willing to make that journey, I want to ask you a question. How far are you willing to journey? How long are you willing to journey? See, just in this story here, there are some practical problems with journeying that usually throw some of us off or stop some of us in the journey. First of all, there is the practical problem of getting past what I call biorhythm religion. You know, there's a, there's a time when all of us kind of feel like getting closer to God. I mean, it's, it just seems to be time. Well, I think it's time I got closer to God. And our biorhythms are up, whatever those are. And so, until those run dry, then we're hot after God. And we get as close as we can during that time. Maybe there's a problem in our life, and it and we recognize our inadequacy. Or maybe maybe it's just it's just we're so blessed in life, then we want to go and thank God. Whatever the circumstance, it is just circumstance. The guiding force, the timing is not God's, it's ours. And therefore, there's a problem. Do you know that, I've read this anyhow, if you take a migratory bird and put that bird in a cage... During the season of migration, that bird will almost injure itself trying to get out of that cage. It will constantly walk back and forth trying to get out of that cage during that season. However, if you get past that season, I have read that you can open the door and the bird won't even come out. People are like that. We go through these seasons of life and we really want God in the worst way, but then it passes. And if God gives us a leading, sorry, the season's gone. There was a time in my life when I would have been interested. But right now, you know, I've got other things going on. I'm in a different biorhythm. Listen, the wise men were ready long for the answer long before they had the answer and they just kept watching until God's timing came. And if you're going to make a journey, you've got to do it on God's timing, not on your timing. All of us have seasons of life 
We need to respect those. But those need not determine whether or not we're going toward God. Secondly, it is very important that we understand that we're not called to travel alone. There is a great danger in making the journey of faith alone. Just as the wise men knew that they had to get together on this thing. They had to travel by group. So God wants us to know that that's why He gives us a church family. He wants us to travel by group. Why? Number one, because if you're traveling alone, you're easy pickings for Satan. I mean, you might as well just draw concentric circles on yourself and say, take me out. I'm your target. You are the easiest thing to bump off when you do not have a relationship with another Christian. Secondly, though, God enjoys when we come to Him as a family. When we come together out of our own inadequacy because we need each other and because we need each other we come to God as a group. He loves that. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember uh, an old guy dead, dead many years now. Remember Jimmy Durante? Anybody old enough to remember Jimmy Durante? Schnoz. My grandfather used to love Jimmy Durante because they had noses that matched. They looked a lot alike. You know, and I used to love him because Pop used to love him. And we'd watch Jimmy Durant. He'd, he'd have these programs where he'd walk in these circles of life and say, Good night, Mrs. Who? Calabash. That's Calabash, wherever you are. That's right. That's right. Great pro. Anyhow, Jimmy Durant went to the entertain the troops during the Second World War. He had to be off the stage at a certain time because he had to catch a plane. Fifteen minutes before he was to be off the stage, they signaled to him that it was time to go. Then five minutes. Then the time to come off, they signaled to him that it was time to go. And every time he told a joke or every time he sang a song, this uproarious applause went on. Finally, it was way too late for him to catch that plane. Indeed, he went on for another hour. Finally, he came off and they said, Jimmy, Jimmy, you missed your plane. What? Why couldn't you come off? And he said, I couldn't. I just couldn't. He said, look down in the front row. And down in the front row, there was a soldier who had lost his left arm. Sitting beside a soldier who had lost his right arm. And they were applauding like this together. (laughs) He said, I couldn't do it. I couldn't go. It meant too much to me. You know what? That means so much to God. When we come with our own inadequacies, recognizing we need each other and applaud God out of that sense of need of being a family. We can't go alone. Are you willing to journey in a group? Thirdly, let me ask you this. Are you willing to get past the egghead experience? Now, I don't know the churchy word for this, But you know what I mean by eggheads. They went to the chief priests and the scribes and said, where is Christ to be born? And they could tell him exactly where Christ was to be born. It wasn't eight miles from where they were. We're talking suburb of Jerusalem here. And they said, he's born in Bethlehem. And they sat there. They didn't show up. 
they weren't even curious enough to go. There is something in us that just wants the information and mistakes the information for the action. You've got to get around that kind of egghead religion. There was a point in our history where the authority of God was shown when people sat down. That's why Jesus sat down in the boat. Because that was a symbol that I am now going to speak with the authority of the rabbi. The head of a department of a university is called the chair of that department. A cathedral is so named because that's where the bishop sits. It's a place of the chair. Could I say to you that is a lousy symbol for Christianity? Because there was all the knowledge in that seat. A much more accurate symbol for Christianity would be that of a sandal. Walking. You know what? God doesn't measure a church by how many people are seated. God measures a church by how many people are sent. That's how God measures the size of a church. It is so important for us to realize that... Let me, let me tell you a story. Something just occurred to me. When I was in Indiana... So one of the congregation uh, thought they'd give me a present, and it was a customized um, license plate. And the license plate said, Preach, on it. I thought that was pretty cute. I put it on my car. Went to drive to a, a, a minister's thing. And one of my buddies who taught uh, uh, philosophy at the local university came out and looked at that license plate, and he said, Is that a noun or a verb you got on there? You know what's wrong with Christianity? Got too many nouns, not enough verbs. Got too many definitions, not enough directions. You've got to get past the egghead experience. Are you, to, are you willing to do more than learn? And then you've got to get past, fourth, you've got to get past the bonehead experiences. I mean, look at Herod in here. What a bonehead! Listen, this guy, let me tell you a little something about, I won't take too long here, but I want to tell you something about Herod. Herod was one of the most insecure people who ever lived. Did not have a good childhood experience. I know some of you can identify with this. Didn't have, I don't know whether he got dropped on his head or his mother, I don't know what, what the deal was. Never found a recovery group, just was like that. You know? Never got any help with it. As, as happened, he was one of the most suspicious people that ever lived. I mean, he was paranoid. He had been king for 35 years. Now, he was the king of the Jews, see? I mean, they had coronated him king, or they had, they had given him this kingship. Um, Herod the Great, they called him, some 30 years ago. He'd been reigning for 30, had, or 35, had this at five years into it. Anyhow, he was the king, see? And he was suspicious of anybody who was close enough to him to take that away. He had his wife killed. He had her mother killed. He had three of his sons killed. Augustus, the emperor of Rome, said it was safer to be Herod's pig than it was his son. That's how paranoid this guy was. Now, guess what? Here come these three white men, just innocent, you know. 
where is he that is born king of the Jews? <laughs> and the Bible says, Herod was disturbed. <laughs> and all Jerusalem with him, you know? You know how that goes. Well, I went to a wrestling tourney the other night, and, and one of the wrestlers said, man, I hope we win, because if we don't, we're going to have a rough... I mean, the coach is going to... We're going to have a rough week. The coach is going to be disturbed. Well, that's how this was, see? When Herod was disturbed, everybody was disturbed, see? And Herod got, we're the king of the Jews. Just as innocent as they could get. Well, why? Because Herod, Herod was a bonehead. He was a bonehead. And you will find boneheads in Christianity, won't you? I mean, you've found your share of them already, haven't you? You know why? Because we're all boneheads. You know the difference between us and Herod? About 2,000 years. It's <laughs> about it. I mean, we know Christ and He doesn't. But that doesn't make us any less boneheads and hostile toward those things that would improve us and hostile towards those things that would put us off the throne. We're boneheads. We've got to recognize that. And we've got to be able to let other people be boneheads. I heard, I heard um, a story about two Christians who were driving through a road reconstruction area. And, of course, you drive through that, and, and they have the sign, Construction Ahead. And then they drove through miles of this road that was all torn up, and it was all bumpy, and so on and so forth, came to the end of it, and they said, End of construction. Thank you for your patience. You know what I think? I think I'd like to have that on my tombstone. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> I think we all ought to put that on our tombstone. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. We don't not get constructed while we're in this world. All of us are being constantly improved. It is a bumpy way. We're all boneheads. And we can't let that stand in our way. Are there going to be problems with us? Absolutely. Are there going to be problems with others? Absolutely. What sense does it make to stop because there's a problem? That's the character of this world. What sense does it make to stop because you've either found a hypocrite or you are a hypocrite? None. That's the character of this world. How far are you willing to journey? Well, let me tell you what you can do if you're willing to go on with Christ, if you're willing to make this journey for the rest of your life. I've got two words that you can ask yourself so that you can be sure that you are on the journey. And let me say those two words to you, and then let me challenge you to have a few minutes of prayer and go to God and say, Lord, this is my journey as I see it. Let me respond to the light that you have for me. First of all, the two words are these. What then? Or... Then what? All of us start in certain kinds of journeys on a certain level. The only thing we need to do to continue that journey is to go to the next step. It's not to figure out how to get to the end. It's just to go to the next step. It's all we need to do. Now, I'm going to tell you about a general journey. All right? It's a general journey. And these same Questions help in your specific callings. But, but let me tell you something we're all involved in. We all know that the light of the world comes through Scripture. 
all of us Christians recognize Scripture as the sole authority for our living? Well, some of us start from the bonehead end of it. Where, where Herod was? <laughs> scripture. Yeah, right. It's a book. It's a book. I mean, some people like it, some people don't, but it's just a book. But then there is another step. If you can hear in your heart, well, maybe there's something else. You say to yourself, well, okay, then what is it? Well, maybe it's more than just a book. Maybe it actually has truth in it that is not like any other book. Well, if that's true, then what? Well, if it has truth that's not like any other book, then maybe I ought to read it when I feel like it. Well, that'd be good. I mean, if we'd read it, if we'd actually read it when we feel like it. But you know what? There may be something even more, even deeper than that. Maybe, what, what then? Then, maybe I ought to read it whether or not I feel like it. Well, if I read it whether or not I feel like it, what'll happen? What'll I find? Then what? Well, then, if I read it whether or not I feel like it, then I will begin to see how the world is put together. Well, if I can see how the world is put together, then what? Then, maybe I'll be able to find personally how God has put me together. Well, if I find out how God's put me together, then what? Well, then, maybe I'll be able to actually see some specific direction for my life right now. Well, if I see specific direction for my life right now, then what? Well, then I can apply it. Well, if I can apply it, then what? Well, then I can see how God is working. It's not just me anymore. It's how God is working. And I'm going to be able to see how He has actually made His Scripture live in my life. If I can see that, then what? Then maybe I can see it in other people's lives. If I can see that, then what? Then I see how God has me. Now, from that journey, from an outside player, kind of looking in, in God's general plan, to the center of what He's doing in this world, just like the wise men. You can do the same thing with prayer. You can do the same thing with love. Just ask yourself, then what? You know, if God has directed me to do this thing, then what? If I was originally on a course for Christianity and I dropped it, this is where I am. Then what? What's my next step? That's all you can take. That's all you need to take. Then what? All right? Now, let me give us some time for prayer. And let me appropriately invite you to journey. The altar is open. I know that not everyone can use it. Everyone came forward to 8 o'clock service and we had people stacked up. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. But for those of you who would like to pray on your knees and would feel that it would be appropriate to make a physical journey so that you can express the desire to make a spiritual journey, I want to open this altar for several minutes to come, for you to come and pray. Now, I want to make available three things. First of all, I would like to make available to anyone here who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who doesn't have that first step in that personal relationship with God, I want to make that available to you this morning. We can help you in that step. We can say the prayer of salvation for you that will give you a personal relationship with God. That's your first step in any spiritual journey. Until you take that step, 
you're not going to be taking any others. You're going to be operating out of your own knowledge instead of out of his knowledge. So therefore, we want to do that with you this morning if you've not made that step. And JT, could you help me pray? And LaDonna, could you help any women pray who want to make that step? And I'll be up here. And Bob, could you help us pray also? Secondly, I would love for you to consider the general journey that all of us must make to make spiritual progress. Scripture study and prayer and love. Some of you have laid off those essential things. And you know you're not going to make significant progress until you continue on those journeys. I would like for you to ask God what's the next step and ask for Him to be able to let you make that, to empower you to make that, to give you the light you need to make that. And then thirdly, there are some of you who have been specifically called by God to do certain things. I don't know what those are, but I just know that there are some of you that have, and you've stopped in your journey. You've stopped along the way, and He wants to call you back on the road. Because there won't be any rest for you in your spirit till you get those done, till you at least continue with the next step. So I want you this morning to say, Lord, I know it. <laughs> I just sat down here for a little while, and here it is a few years later. Uh, I need to get back. I need to start going again. Let me invite all of you to pray at this time. And for those of you who would like to actually physically journey to come up, to the altar area and do just that. Okay? Let's have some moments of prayer.